Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from the words of Henry Morris, who in 1951 wrote this little book called The Bible and Modern Science. We go to chapter four now, The Bible and History. Probably no parts of the Bible have been more completely vindicated by modern discovery than those parts which deal with the history of the Jewish people and those nations with which they came in contact. It was once the custom of the higher critics to attack almost everything mentioned in the Bible as unhistorical, written long after the supposed events took place, or, uh, as like as not, simply fabricated by the writer. Since the multitude of archaeological discoveries made within the past century, however, the pendulum is swinging the other way. And the Bible is regarded, even by those who do not believe in its inspiration, as an exceedingly trustworthy book from the historical standpoint. It is well known that the earliest known civilizations of the world were those of Sumeria, Egypt, Babylonia, Assyria, and other countries in the region near the eastern shores of the Mediterranean. A tremendous amount of research has been applied to the study of the histories of these lands by modern archaeologists and historians. Their findings occupy literally hundreds of volumes, and we cannot begin to consider all of them here. However, it would be interesting to look at a, a few of the more striking examples of the Bible's vindication by archaeology and related fields. Some of the most interesting of the Babylonian and Egyptian discoveries have to do with the period before the flood. In these and other countries have been discovered numerous stories of the creation, the fall, the antediluvian patriarchs, and the flood. Many of these stories bear striking similarities to the Bible accounts. And since many of them antedate or come before the writing of Genesis by Moses, Critics occasionally claim that he, Moses, obtained his material from these sources, and that consequently the Genesis record is merely legendary, like the other stories. However, a mere comparison of the majestic account in the Bible with the garbled and mythological nonsense of practically all these other stories is sufficient evidence that the record of these events, as given in the Bible, is incomparably superior to all other records combined, a fact which can be accounted for only on the basis of inspiration. It is only natural to suppose that some recollection of such important happenings as the creation and the flood would be handed down by word of mouth to all the descendants of Adam and Noah. And it is extremely significant that in spite of their obviously legendary character, these spurious records show marked resemblance to the account given in the Bible. It seems certain that these stories must, therefore, have a definite factual basis. The story of the dispersion of the peoples after building the Tower of Babel is usually caviled at by Bible critics. Nevertheless, it is very likely that a part of the original tower is still standing. It has not been many years since what seemed to be the greatest of the Babylonian ziggurats was excavated. However, it was found from the Babylonian records that this tower was old during Babylon's heyday and had, in fact, been repaired and restored for use 
in her sacrificial worship. The Greek historian Herodotus, about 500 B.C., described the structure, which then consisted of a series of eight ascending towers, each one recessed in turn, with a spiral roadway running around it as a means of climbing to the top. At the very top was a great temple, which was used in the worship of Babylon's gods. Babylonian legend had it that this tower originally had been built by Nimrod, which coincides with the Bible record. In fact, the region is still called Birsnimrud by the Arabs. This great structure had a height of something over 700 feet, of which several hundred still remain. If this tower is not actually the original tower of Babel, it probably at least was meant to be a replica of it, as indeed may have been true of many of the other ancient Mesopotamian ziggurats. It has been difficult to find direct archaeological evidence bearing on the early patriarchs of Israel before the time of Joshua. This is, of course, explainable by the fact that Israel was not yet a nation, and it would be an extremely fortunate coincidence if relics of individuals such as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, or Moses would be found. On the other hand, there is quite a bit of collateral evidence which illumines the biblical stories and proves that the descriptions of the countries, peoples, and general conditions of life during those times, as given in the Bible, are quite accurate and must have been written either by very trustworthy eyewitnesses or written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For example, Abraham's boyhood home is mentioned in the Bible as Ur of the Chaldees. The location and the very presence of this place were at one time uncertain, but in recent years it has been discovered and fully explored. Critics at one time claimed that the Pentateuch could not have been written by Moses because the art of writing was unknown when he was living. Discoveries in Ur and other places, however, have proved beyond all doubt that writing was well developed for at least many hundreds of years before even Abraham's time. Furthermore, it is interesting here to note that the former armchair theories of the higher critics about the gradual evolution of culture, science, religion, and so on, are gradually being demolished by each new archaeological discovery. Recent explorations at great numbers of these ancient cities have revealed over and over again that the earliest discoverable civilizations were the highest and that there was a constant degeneration in the arts and sciences as time went on. It has even been shown that their religion was originally monotheistic and later degraded into polytheism, rather than the other way around, as formerly claimed. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah by the raining of fire and, and brimstone or sulfur from the sky sounds much like a volcanic eruption, a supposition which is amply supported by an examination of the region formerly occupied by these cities on the shores of the Dead Sea. The large quantities of sulfur and bitumen, as well as the volcanic rocks and the sulfurous gases generated in the soil, all point back to some tremendous holocaust of the past. 
Even the case of Lot's wife becomes clearer in the light of these facts. It is likely that she lagged behind, the probable meaning of looked back, and was overcome in the catastrophe. There are huge beds of salt in the region, and it may be that she was buried by a mass of salt thrown in the air. The word translated salt does not necessarily denote sodium chloride, but might mean any crystalline chemical compound. It is conceivable that she was buried by the lava and later, through the years, and by the ordinary forces of nature, became petrified or fossilized, thus actually turning into salt. This very thing is known to have happened to a great many individuals in the volcanic destruction of the Roman city of Pompeii. Furthermore, archaeological explorations at the site prove definitely that the region was inhabited during the time of Abraham, but immediately thereafter became barren of inhabitants and remained so for about 2,000 years. The Hebrew captivity in Egypt, as well as the Exodus, are, are now, because of archaeological evidence, accepted as historical even by the critics although they were formerly concluded to be legendary. The ten plagues, although no directly corroborative evidence of them has yet been discovered, have attained added significance with the discovery that every one of them seemed particularly aimed at some phase of the religion of the Egyptians. The deities of the Nile, the goddesses of the frog, the fly and the cattle, the gods of medicine, the elements, the sun, the fertility of the fields, and finally the goddess of birth, all suffered tremendous loss of prestige in the minds of the extremely polytheistic Egyptians because of the plagues of Jehovah. Archaeology, by thus revealing the religion of the Egypt of Moses' day, indirectly substantiates the Bible records and certainly endues them with greater meaning. Concerning the wanderings of the Israelites in the wilderness, little of a secular nature is known other than the fact that a people called Kabiri, possibly the Hebrews, began overrunning the countries of Canaan about this time. The conquest began with the crossing of the Jordan and the destruction of Jericho, both events being accompanied by means of miraculous help from God. The Bible relates that when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stepped to the Jordan's edge, the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, and the people passed over right against Jericho. It is interesting that a similar thing has happened at least three other times in history, the last in 1927. Now, this was written, folks, in 1951. How many other times these things have happened? I don't know. Each time it has been caused by an upstream landslide, which left the riverbed below dry for several hours. The Bible account could well describe a miraculously timed landslide and the resultant damming of the waters. The city of Jericho has been the focus of intensive excavations for many years, especially by Garstang and Kenyon. The former found evidence of the conquest of Jericho by Joshua in the manner described in the Bible. Later excavations by Kenyon 
however, seem to indicate that the occupation level described by Garstang was from a different time than that of Joshua. Evidently, Jericho was rebuilt and re-inhabited many times during its long history, and there is still uncertainty as to the time, though not as to the fact, of Joshua's conquest. Among the strongest of the peoples which the Hebrews had to face in the Promised Land were the Hittites. There are a great many references to these people in the Bible, but until the closing years of the 19th century, there was no external evidence that they ever existed. For many years, the higher critics used the Hittite legend as one of their most telling blows against the inspiration of the scriptures. Archaeological scholarship, however, has long since revealed that these people constituted one of the most powerful and influential nations of antiquity, thus once more demonstrating the weakness of the critical position and the truth of the Bible. The same story might be told of Edom and the Edomites, who are mentioned time and again in the Bible, but were completely forgotten in secular history until the 19th century, when references to them were found in Egyptian and Assyrian monuments. Finally, the splendidly preserved remains of their capital city, Petra, the rock city, were discovered. Thus the critics, who had maintained the Edomites to be legendary, were again routed. And there's more, and I do hope that you will return and find out what that more is next time around. Thank you for listening, and do look around my site, will you? Got well over 3,000 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you'd like more fellowship, please consider visiting my YouTube channel known as Pasturelands or buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll share details about our Zoom meetings. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on August the 15th, 2022. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.